in the live stream, welcome. Good morning to you. Um, if you could, on the app or website, wherever you're looking at us on, give us a thumbs up, a like, and share the link with someone so that you could join us. You in the house, thank you for your prayer this morning. Um, the Lord is doing something behind the scene. It's an opportunity for God to show himself strong. All right? That, uh, there's no problems. There's opportunities for the Lord to move in a special way. Um, Jack, you could have that seed, please. I have a scripture that I want to share with you this morning. In lieu of everything that's going on right now, what's going on in the world, uh, this has been in uh, my heart. I hope it's been uh, everyone's heart. As you, as we see the signs, this is from Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to enter the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outsides are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst. It is. Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone born? Is anyone able Break the seal and open the scroll. 
Sometimes hallelujah right now. Just a dembe. Sometimes I.
I just had a thought come to my mind. It just happened. Uh, you can't see that. What's what happened earlier? going to hear the gospel today. So, Father God, I, your appointments are ordered, and we don't understand them. Wherever things are going, even the people that are driving, I pray that you would just direct them. And that you lead them in a mighty way, a mighty way. Let the Holy Spirit let the Spirit of God just flood their flood their minds. That people have been
because you first loved us, Jesus, we engaged with the prayers. Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me, I am so glad that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. 
the heart of thanksgiving, I will bless thee, O Lord, I will bless thee, O Lord, I will bless thee, O Lord, with the heart of thanksgiving, I will bless thee. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 20, excuse me, 28 through 31. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We could dismiss our children. You may be seated.
Good morning. Nothing like a little excitement to get the blood flowing in the morning, is there? Well, we'll continue to keep Tony in your prayers. Uh, we'll have an update. Hopefully, by after right after church service, we should have probably an update on how he's doing. But uh, thank you guys for your patience and your your willingness to flow or go with the flow as it goes. You know, we have a loving God, and our loving God is with us through the times that we understand, the times we don't understand, the good times, the bad times. He's consistent. And I am thankful for that, thankful for that. We're going to continue our study in Judges this morning, Judges chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 30 this week. Our title this week is, His Understanding is Unsearchable, but His Spirit is Not. Now really, that when that title came to me this week, it was like, you know, that just really kind of sums up so much. We, we want to know as much as we can know. We want to search out as much as we can understand God is so far above our finite minds to be able to comprehend everything. But the closer we are to Jesus and the more dependent we are about the Holy Spirit within us and listening to him and growing in him, we can continue to grow closer. And that's what our goal in this life is supposed to be, to be more like Jesus, to be closer to Jesus, to have the Holy Spirit engaging with us so that we're learning and we're growing. And we're not going to have all the answers but the, more, the closer we are to Jesus, the more confidence that we have and the hope that we have that we know the one who has all the answers. And that's what we depend upon. So as we get into this message this morning, there's going to be some things we may not understand. But we're going to be listening to what the Holy Spirit has to tell us. We're going to be going through the word. And we're going to let Jesus speak to us because that's what we're here for. Let's go to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you're on the throne. We do lift up Tony to you, Lord, this morning that you would just touch his body and bring healing to him. And we thank you, Lord, that you're with him even now. Pray you'll give the doctors wisdom. Lord, I pray now that you now take our hearts and our minds and focus upon you. That we not allow things to be a distraction that would pull us away from hearing what you have to say. Because, Lord, what's most important right now is to be closer to you. So we pray that you speak to our hearts through your word that you open our ears to hear what you have to say and give us as much understanding, as much wisdom and discernment, Lord, as we can possibly hold. And we thank you, Lord, because you are a faithful God. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, recapping last week, we were introduced to Jephthah, who was an outcast because his mother was a harlot. And all of his half-brothers ran him off. They didn't want him around. They said, you know what? You're not one of us. You have to go. So he took off, and uh, he wound up being, they called him a, a mighty man of valor, but he wound up lining up with a bunch of scoundrels, and they were out raiding the territory and everything. But he had some might behind him. After Israel found themselves in trouble and oppression with the Philistines and the Ammonites for over 18 years, they cried out to God. We remember that part. God said, you know what? Let me give you the history. I've done all these things for you, and, and I'm not doing them again. But we know that God was still going to deliver because God's heart is always going to be for the promise that he made Abraham. He's always going to be there to deliver Israel, even when Israel puts themselves into these situations over and over again. Now, they didn't really wait upon the Lord when they cried out. They quickly ran after the one they previously rejected. They cast him out, didn't want him until they need him. And this shows the indecisiveness of the flesh. 
We can love those who can offer us something, but we can hate those that can't. And that's a common trait in the flesh. You know, it happens in the world. It can even happen in the church where you can draw close to people who you think can benefit you, but the minute you think they can't, you don't want anything to do with them. They're of no value. But according to the Scripture and according to the Word, we all have value in Christ. And we are valued by Him. And we don't need to be changing our minds on a dime just because it benefits us or when it doesn't. And a true relationship with the Lord doesn't change when the wind blows different circumstances in. This is an important part of the Christian walk that we need to understand. Circumstances change. This life is uncertain what's, what tomorrow is going to bring. But God is consistent. His Spirit is consistent. His Word is consistent. The walk that we have with Him sometimes is inconsistent on our end, but never on His end. And when we have this relationship, when circumstances change, He doesn't. So we know that He is and He will be the one who's going to be there with us as we go through these changes and through these seasons that we go through. And today we live in a world that's completely consumed with lies and deception. It's all from the enemy, who is the father of all lies. John 8, says, he was talking to the scribes and Pharisees, the leaders of Israel. He said, you're the father of, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we have to come to this point in our life where we say we're not listening to the lies of the world. We're listening to the Holy Spirit. We're listening to Jesus. We're listening and focusing on the Word of God. The church, the pastors of the church today, we need to be shepherding the sheep with the truth of God's Word. We need to be focused on what is true. The lies are going to be there. They're going to change. They're all pretty much rooted in the same thing, but the lie itself will change because they can't even remember what the last lie they told, so they'll tell something else, and they'll tell something else. We need to be focused on the truth rather than the lie. Even today as we see things happening more and more in our culture, in our country, in our nation, and we see that things are lining up for one world government, we hear all the news, we hear all these things happening, this, this is coming. The truth is, and I'm going to say it very plainly, the church does not need to be looking for the Antichrist. We need to be focusing on the Christ. I don't know who the Antichrist is. I don't know where he is. I don't know when he's going to be born. He may be ready to step in next week. But the truth is, is that I want to focus on Jesus. Because the rest of this is all going to be under his footstool. So I want to be focusing on him. But think about this. If Jesus had this to say to the leaders of Israel, what do you think he would say to those today who are not feeding the sheep with a full counsel of God's word? Now this week, we're going to pick up in Judges chapter 11. We're going to see how God did use Jephthah to defeat the enemy. But Jephthah, in his flesh, made a vow that he should have never made. We're going to pick this up now, and we're going to read. This vow, we're going to read the consequences of this. Judges chapter 11, beginning with verse 30. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, 
Then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Aror as far as Mineth, twenty cities, and to Abel Karamim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. We see that. That's what the Word tells us. He defeated the king of Ammon. But in the heat of this moment, Jephthah made a foolish vow. And again, I'm going to reread this, verse 31. Then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So we have a question here. The Holy Spirit came upon him. He gave him the might, gave him the ability, gave him the power to go and defeat the enemy. We know when the Holy Spirit descended all through Israel in their past, we see the Holy Spirit descends, gives them power. We now have the Holy Spirit within us, and in order to draw upon that power, we need to be walking in obedience to the word in obedience in relationship to Jesus, but we have access to that same power. But the question arises, why would he make such a vow if the Holy Spirit was upon him? Why would he make that vow in the heat of that moment? Would he not have the wisdom to only say or do what the Spirit is leading him to do? Not necessarily. See, here's something we have to understand. We still have a fleshly tent. We still have a fleshly nature. We still get excited. And we still get all into the Word. We get all into, into what God's telling us. And we're learning and we're growing. And then all of a sudden we step out and we say something stupid. Or we do something dumb. And we're sitting there saying, but was I not just in the power of the Holy Spirit? Was I not just walking in what God is doing and in His power? Where did that come from? Well, it probably came from here or here. It came from somewhere inside of the flesh. We have to realize, again, we're still in this tent. So while the power of the Holy Spirit is operating in us, we can say or do something that's not in alignment with him. Let's take a step back and look at, uh, at Peter, Matthew 16, 15 through 23. Jesus was asking, who do you say that I am? And this is in verse 15. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Jesus the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside <laughs> and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not a mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. Talk about a humbling experience. Peter was on the mountain. I mean, think about it. Wow, I've just been praised. I heard from the Father. That's right. 
Jesus is the Christ. I know because the Father told me. Blessed are you. You're going to have your church. It's going to be built. Oh, oh man, look at this. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. And the next thing you know, he's got his foot in his mouth again. This is the human side. This is what happens when men get a little ahead of themselves, when they get excited, when the Holy Spirit falls and moves. We need to make sure that we're on our knees, not talking and not walking, but listening. Because he will take us where we need to go and he will tell us what we need to say. Otherwise, we get right back into that foot and mouth disease that we know so many people in our local and upper. We're not even going to say who they are, but they have foot and mouth disease. We still live in this fleshly tent. And we have to deal with our emotions. When they run high, we can say and do dumb things, even when God is using us to accomplish his will. This is why it's important that we grow and learn to apply what James tells us. In James chapter 1, 19, he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. We need to understand that we, need, we have two ears. We need to be using them more than we use our one mouth. Because the mouth gets us in trouble. Even in the gifts of the Spirit, the mouth can give you trouble. The two most, and I say dangerous, it's only dangerous because man gets in the way of it. But the two gifts that get more people into trouble is tongues and prophecy both of which they use their mouth to converse. Because it's easy, again, to hear, to move in the Spirit, but if you're not close enough to Jesus, if you're not remaining and abiding like you should, if you're not walking, then you may walk in the gift that you are really not supposed to be in in that moment and say or do something that is not beneficial or edifying to the church. And that's what the gifts are supposed to be about, edification of the church. If you're not edifying, then what are you doing? You're bringing down. So it's a place that we don't, Paul said, seek all the gifts. Seek them, we should. But we need to walk in obedience to the Spirit and ask Him to flow through us so that He's doing and operating the gift in us and we're not in the way of it. Otherwise, we can mess it up because, again, we are in this fleshly tent. Now, we also read Ecclesiastes, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. He says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God, and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what, that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. So here in our text this morning, we see the Holy Spirit came upon Jephthah, but then he rashly made a foolish vow, and now we're going to see that it's going to come back to haunt him, beginning with verses 30 through 40, 34 through 40. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I've given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. 
So she said to him, My father, if you've given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains, bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And it was so at the end of the two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her which he had vowed. She knew no man, and it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went for days, went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. And this is one of those hard passages I don't like to teach on. <laughs> this is not an easy one to go through. But we can't ignore it. Now let me say here that there are two views thought on this passage. And some of you may be on one side of the camp on this. Some of you may be on the other. We're going to look at the scripture. I'm not going to force the point. I'm going to let you be where you feel you need to be as you go through and hope the Holy Spirit will confirm through the word what it says. The first view is that Jephthah did indeed offer his daughter up as a burnt sacrifice. The second view as that he didn't do that, but rather put her away as a virgin for the rest of her life to see, to know no man and to be and to give her over to God. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take a moment and we're going to break down the Hebrew words used and what they mean, and then we'll take it from there. And this is for the whole sentence. Surely shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So the Hebrew word for surely is hayah. And it means to become or will come to pass. It's going to happen. That's what that word means. This is going to happen. The Hebrew word for the Lord is Yehovah, Jehovah the Lord. Jehovah the Lord. So we recognize that he is speaking to God. This is going to happen. I'm making this vow to God. The Hebrew word for offer it up is Allah. It means to cause to ascend up at once bring up, cause to burn, carry up, or cast up. And the Hebrew word for burnt offering is olah. It means ascent, literally burnt offering, to go up to a sacrifice. So in a sentence, we could read it this way. Whatever comes out of my house first, it will come to pass that it shall belong to Jehovah God and it will be at once be brought to or offered up or given to him as a burnt offering. That's what it says. That's what the words mean. We're looking at this in a literal sense. Now you can say, well, well what, about the, what about the putting her away? Okay, well, there are some words in there. You could say, well, there's, you know, to, to put, a, put aside or set apart. It can lean in that direction. But everything literally here means that the vow that he made, whatever comes out of the front door of his house, will be offered as a burnt sacrifice. Period. That's what it says. So let's look at it a little bit further. If this does means to consecrate or to give to over to the Lord for his service, if that were the case, you could insert that he didn't actually sacrifice his daughter, but put her away, never to marry. And verses 37 through 40 speak of her taking two months and bewailing her virginity. That's mentioned a couple of times. She was a virgin. And she, was dying. she would die a virgin or she would be put away and never be able to marry. These verses could imply that she did 
lived the rest of her life and did not die at her father's hand. But you have to look at what was Jephthah thinking when he made the vow. You see, this is where we really have to back up a little bit. What was he thinking in his mind when he made this vow? He was not thinking of his daughter. He was not thinking of putting her away as a virgin if she came out. He wasn't thinking of his wife. He wasn't thinking of a, another person that might have been in the house. I believe he was thinking of an animal. He was thinking of an animal. And I found this information from a biblical archaeology society regarding the daily life in ancient Israel. And we read this. Israelites lived in a nuclear household during the time of biblical judges, often with their relatives in clusters of houses around a common courtyard. Houses were made of mud brick with a stone foundation and perhaps a second story of wood. The living space of the houses consisted of three or four rooms, often with sleeping space on the roof or in a covered roof loft. One of the first floor rooms was probably a courtyard for domestic animals, mostly sheep and goats. So I believe knowing this, knowing their lifestyle, knowing their culture, knowing the ground floor, knowing the door on the ground floor, in his mind, the first thing that comes out, how many times do you think he came home and a goat ran out? Or a sheep or a chicken? I know we have a lot of people in here that raise chickens. We love those fresh eggs. They didn't just get them for the eggs. <laughs> and these chickens around, goats, whatever it was, they would come out. And if this is the case, then I believe his vow was literally to sacrifice or offer whatever came out the front door as a burnt offering. He was thinking of a goat or a sheep. That's going up to the Lord. First thing is going to happen. So his daughter comes out. He wasn't expecting that. He wasn't expecting to see her. And we read his response. His reaction was in verse 35, Alas, my daughter, you bought me very low. You're, you're among those who trouble me, for I've given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. Now let's think about this for a moment. Had he been thinking about his daughter or any human being when he made this vow, what do you think he would have been thinking about at that point? Would he be thinking about his, uh, uh, offering up someone to separate them to never marry? Because that's not led up in anywhere up to this point that he's thinking about those things. If he was thinking about an animal, would he think about putting the animal away so the animal can never marry? <laughs> no. He was literally thinking of offering an animal as a sacrifice. And I know this is a hard story to read, and for most of us, we can't process the fact that he would actually kill his own daughter. And we all agree that God didn't expect him to. This is, again, this is the, the mind of a man who puts a vow above the human or value of human life. That's, that's it's wrong. You don't put a vow to God. And, I mean, he could have even, I believe, now this, now this is me inserting this. Had I made such a stupid vow and my daughter came out, the first thing I would have said, oh, I'm an animal. I'm in an animal. But he took it so literally. And this is something we have to look at their culture as well. In their culture, a vow was to be honored. It meant more. The word of a vow that was spoken meant more to them than anything else, especially if they made that vow to God. And he knew he made the vow to God. 
I'm sure probably he also knew that human sacrifice was forbidden. So why did he pursue? Why did he go? God didn't expect him to. But according to what we're reading, it appears that that's what he did. He took that serious more or, or that vow more serious than he did the, uh, the sacrifice of his daughter. So what's hard to understand is how does it hold such a high regard? If he did actually sacrifice his daughter, then he did it on his own and without God's approval. Now, I'm going to be honest here. I'm a little vulnerable. I don't understand why God didn't intervene. And that's probably the first thing anybody else would say. Why did God allow it? Why did God not intervene if it actually took place? These are hard questions. And as I said in the very beginning, many times we don't get the hard answers. We don't always get those. But we also have to ask other questions. If we want to insert that in this question, let's go to David. Why did God allow David to have the affair with Bathsheba? Why did he allow David to murder Bathsheba's husband? He didn't intervene, did he? These are hard things. Why didn't God do this? It wasn't God's plan. And then we look at Saul. When Samuel confronted Saul on his disobedience, there are times when God intervenes. He said, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you've not left and not kept what the Lord commanded you. He's speaking of David, a man after his own heart. This is before Bathsheba. This is before David was to become king. But yet, he was a man after his own heart. And we even read that again in Acts 13, 22. It says, And when he removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave a testimony and said, I found David from the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. So we're still left with, well, God allows these things. Why didn't he intervene? He could have done this. He could have done that. But he didn't do this, and he didn't do that. We also know, this is another thing we have to come to grips with, is that David repented. You know, when Saul, Saul never repented. Saul always had an excuse. David came to a place of repentance, and he wrote Psalm 51, verses 14 through 17. He says, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice. Key place here to kind of see a reference. God did not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So what we have to see here is God looks at the heart. Now, let's take a moment here. And let's look at our own heart. God looks at our heart just like he looked at David's, just like he looked at Jephthah, just like he's looked at Saul, just like he's looked at Abraham, just like he's looked at all the patriarchs and all of the, the, uh, the prophets of old and all the, the apostles and, and disciples in the New Testament. He looks at the heart. When Jesus walked along and said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, he knew the heart of them. But we saw Peter put his foot in his mouth over and over again, Peter abandoned him, denied him three times. Judas 
He let walk with him for three years of ministry. And he knew Judas's heart from day one. But he didn't call him out, did he? Because this had to take place. So you see all these things happening and you wonder what's going on. But God sees the heart. He sees everything when we cannot. And he looked upon Jephthah's heart as he looks upon ours. He knows every thought. He knows every action. But every thought and every action of our heart is not pleasing to the Lord. Has God overridden our will? No. And he won't. It's often said the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He won't force himself on anyone, but he offers himself to everyone who will receive Jesus. But that doesn't mean that every believer is always going to do the right thing. It doesn't mean that they're all going to be perfect when they're walking this life. Perfection belongs with Jesus when we're with him for eternity. We are being sanctified. We are being changed. This is a process. This is a growing. There's going to be things that he's got to shake out of us. There's going to be things he's got to peel off of us. There's going to be things in us that we don't want to let go. And there's going to be sometimes dumb things because we misunderstood an application of the word or done something in our own flesh where the spirit did not guide us to do and rather than us in stepping back and taking a breath and saying god i messed up i messed up when i said this i messed up when i did that and then listening to the to the holy spirit and letting him guide us through how to work that out Many times people continue in the fleshly and say, I said it, I've got to do it. I did this, I've got to follow through, blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you've just gone into an area you shouldn't have gone into. Now, there is no scripture reference that shows that Jephthah recognized that what he did was wrong. It's not in this story. And there's no place where it shows that he went against God's plan. But we do find one thing that causes us to believe that he did. And that's in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter. You have all the people listed, or many of the people listed. And it says in, in verse 32 of Hebrews chapter 11, And what more shall I say? For the time will fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, and also of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Now these are men that were listed and God put in there to show this because of their faith. So he had faith. He did what God taught him to do. The Spirit came upon him. He still acted rationally by making this bad vow. But he's listed here along with David and Samuel and some of the other judges. So let me leave you with this thought. In our finite minds, we're never going to be able to understand the full character of God. But by the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have peace with the fact that he is a perfect and holy God. And this is a point that we have to, as believers, come to. There's going to be many times in our life we're going to have questions. Why? When? <laughs> what? Where? Who? You know, well, who? We know who. That's the only one that really matters is who, and that's Jesus. But all these other questions, we, in our minds, think we deserve to know. Well, God, if I'm going to follow you, I want to know all the answers. I want to know all the facts. I want to know everything. I'm not taking a step of faith. 
That's really what you're saying. If you're demanding of God all the answers and things you don't understand, and you're telling God you don't really trust him. And you're telling him that you could handle it if he told you. And that's really a lie. If God knew that we could handle it, he would give it to us. But because of his perfection, because of his understanding, because of his foreknowledge, because of his wisdom, because of all-knowing and everything that he is, he knows that these finite minds of ours would explode if he gave us too much. And if they didn't, what would we do with the information? We would probably make a stupid vow with it. <laughs> or do something dumb because we're not capable of handling the things of God in the fullness of of what they are. That's why we have the Holy Spirit in us. If God knew that we could handle things, He wouldn't have had to give us the Holy Spirit, would He? He has the Holy, He gives us the Holy Spirit that dwells within us so that we have the power from on high to move and to grow and to be what He's called us to be. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit, if we didn't have the Word of God, we would be as lost as a goose. And sometimes geese are lost. You see them flying across. You think, aren't they supposed to be going north to south in the winter or summer? And they're going east to west. They don't know where they're going. But the truth is, is that when you're a believer, you're dependent upon his truth. You're dependent upon his character. You're dependent upon all that he is. And if we don't come to the point of saying, I trust you no matter what I see, no matter what I hear, no matter what's going on around me, then we're going to find ourselves flailing like a fish out of water. Because we can't grasp what's happening around us. God wants us to know that he's already got it mapped out. Now that doesn't mean that it's going to be all perfect and, and everything's going to be hunky-dory and this warm and fuzzy feeling every Sunday after church when you get a good message but you don't have the word. Because sometimes you have hard words. Sometimes you have things you've got to struggle with. But you still have to come on the other side and say, Lord, I trust you in the midst of it. I trust you because I know you're a perfect God and I'm not. And while I don't know why he did what he did and I don't know why this situation is what it is, what I can say is that you're still on the throne. And I still trust you because of who you are. And we can have that peace with that faith in him. Job said this in Job chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. He said, though he slay me, yet... I will trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. He also shall be my salvation. Now, let's, Job was not in a good situation when he wrote this. He'd lost his family, except his wife. And what did she say? Just curse God and die. You're talking as a foolish woman. Now, that's a brave man right there. <laughs> Don't ever tell your wife she's a foolish woman. And believe me, if you did, she would prove otherwise probably fairly quickly. But in this case, it was accurate. You're talking like a foolish woman. Should we not accept and receive those good things from God as well as the bad? Now think about that. Job is in a place where he's lost it all. Now he's sitting there. He's got, he's got balls and sores all over him. He's in dust cloths. He's in ashes. He's scratching and scraping these sores with a broken piece of pottery. The pain, the suffering, and three miserable friends that weren't offering him any hope. All they're trying to do is tell him how he's in sin, and if he gets his life right with God, then God would deliver him. But Job knew. Now, Job wasn't a perfect man. Don't get me wrong. 
but in context of who he was and his relationship with God, he was an obedient man. He was making the sacrifices. He even made them for his family and his kids because of his concern for them. His heart was right. Didn't do everything right, but his heart was right. And when it came to Job 38, when God speaks, he shut up. And he even said, oh, I've spoken way too quickly things I don't understand. I've, I've spoken, but no more. I will stand in, in the presence of God. Job came to that place when God speaks. We need to be at that place, too. We need to shut up when he speaks and listen to what he has to say. See, God is trustworthy even when we mess things up. He's still trustworthy. And his understanding is unsearchable, but his spirit is not. We need to be seeking his spirit. We need to be seeking his word. We need to be seeking and desiring his plan for our life because that's where we're going to find how to take that next step. And we may find ourselves, after we've messed it up, we've got to take a step, and what do we do? What do we do? Because here's the thing. In Jephthah's case, it didn't just affect him, did it? It affected his whole family. She was his only child. It affected her. It affected the, the mother. It affected everyone. And so when we come into God's presence, we need to make sure that we're not making foolish vows about this, that, and the other. And we've all seen it on TV shows in the past when they'd have that one scene or somebody's laying in the hospital bed, or somebody's been, Lord, if you just heal me or, or fix them, I will serve you. I will do this. I will do that. That's not the place we really need to find ourselves making that vow because that's probably made in emotion as well. And then, miraculously, either we get well or whoever we're praying for gets well, and then what happens? Things settle back into the same routine they always were, and we forget what we said. See, the one thing about our culture is that we don't honor the word that they did in the culture of Israel in their day. When they made a vow, they, they aimed to keep it. When we make one over here, oh, well, I didn't really mean it. God knew I didn't. God, God just knew that was all in the heat of the emotion. God doesn't work in the heat of the emotion. God works in the spirit realm, not in the flesh realm. And when the flesh gets in the way, we're going to cause pain for others. We're going to cause things to happen. Now, let's just take a step back. Again, you still may be in the camp. Well, I just can't believe that God would allow it, and I can't believe that he actually sacrificed his daughter. I can't. Listen, I'm not going to force that on you because I know there is that side of it that says, you know, well, she was a virgin, and she was put away for service, and they still mourn, and every, every year they go out and they mourn for her and all these things. But I can't scripturally find anything that actually supports that. The reason, and, and, and I'm just going to say this from my perspective, the reason many times that we have trouble accepting things like this in the Word is because we just can't see God doing this, and we just can't see God doing that. And, we, and so we try to, this is, this is the way it is, we try to make God in our image. You can't do that. You have to accept Him for who He is, in fullness of who He is. See, God made us in his image, not the other way around. 
And we can't come up and say, okay, God, I love this fact that you died for me. I love the fact that you gave your son so I don't have to die in, in hell for eternity. I love the fact that you can deliver me. I love the fact of all these promises. This is wonderful. But then when we get to things we don't understand, no, I just can't accept that. So I'm going to make you in this camp, which is all about blessing. And that's where we've gone a lot in our church today, isn't it? All the blessings of God. Yeah, let's get all the blessings. How many times do we hear uh, in the prosperity movement, they always go back to, to Deuteronomy 28, but they only talk about the blessings. Oh, if you know, the blessings of God. You're going to be the head, not the tail. You're going to be ahead of everybody. You're going to be rich. You're going to be prosper uh, pr prosperous. <laughs> prosperous. You're going to have all these things. But they leave out the simple little phrase, if you obey my commands. And they don't want to hear that. They want to have the cake and eat it too. We can't take God and make him the way we want him. We take him for who he is. And who he is is a holy God. And he is a perfect God. And while this story here, I walk away scratching my head. I say, God, I love you and I trust you. And Jephthah was the one that did something stupid, not God. And God doesn't always intervene. He does sometimes, but sometimes he doesn't. Where does that leave us? It leaves us in a place of a choice. And that choice is for the believer today and for a non-believer, if you're hearing this message, if you're here in the room or if you're listening online, you don't know Jesus, this story may either blow you out or bring you in. I can't, and that's not my job. <laughs> my job is to tell you what the word says. The Holy Spirit brings the conviction. The Holy Spirit brings whatever needs to come in order for someone to receive Jesus. But for the believer, specifically this morning, we have a choice. And that choice is to accept it all. Accept God for who He is and the fullness of who He is, even in the areas we don't understand, or say, you know what? I would rather just accept the one I want and then I'll live the way I want to and I'll be a lot more comfortable. Well... That may be true in some ways. You may be more comfortable, meaning that you don't have to deal with the adversity of that. But I can promise you this. If you're not really all in for Jesus, you won't be comfortable. Because the world's going to pull at you. And it's going to tear at you. And then Satan's going to come and say, you know what? Why would God really do that? Why would God really allow that? Did God really say? Where does that come from? All the way back to the garden. See, he will deceive you with doubt. And he will plant the seeds of doubt. Then he will fool you fully into it. And next thing you know, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, God wouldn't. God couldn't. Therefore, I will go this way. We need to be adhering to the word, adhering to the spirit, walking in his wisdom, walking in his faith, walking in his understanding as much as we can receive and ask. James says, pray for wisdom. Pray believing. If you don't pray that you're going to get wisdom, that's a promise we can actually have. We can actually pray for it. Lord, give me wisdom. But when you pray, pray believing. Otherwise, you're like a man going to and fro. You're tossed like a double-minded man. You say this, and then you do that. You do this, and you say that. And James also said, you know, you shouldn't let both salty and, and pure water come out of your mouth at the same time. That's paraphrasing, but you know what I'm saying. You can't say blessings and curses out of your mouth at the same time. Not if you're walking and inviting in Jesus. 
So this is really where I'm going to leave you, the ultimate leaving you. I was leaving you a while ago, and I'm going to leave you here. <laughs> and then it'll be another 50. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we need to be in a place when we put ourselves where we choose to abide. Just choose to abide. And when we come to that place, stay in it. Stay in that place of abiding in Jesus. Stay in the word. Stay in prayer. Continue to ask for the leading of the Holy Spirit. Continue asking for God to give us wisdom and direction, even into things we don't understand, because I'm going to promise you, this story is one, but in our own personal lives, we've got many. We've got many. And we ask why. God may not give you that answer, but he will give you the peace that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus that will guard your hearts and minds. This is a promise we have in his word. And we can grab it, and we can receive it, and we can walk in it. So I encourage you in that this morning. Again, these are hard messages. These are things that we have to have to look at and go through. I don't skip passages in the Bible because they're hard. You can't. Now, I didn't want to teach on this on Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> that would have been a tough one to blend in, wouldn't it? But you know, God is faithful, and he gives us what we need when we need it. Let's just walk in that and trust in him he's got it he's got each one of you in the palm of his hand and he's taking you by the hand and he's leading you and when you can't go any further he'll pick you up and he'll hold you and he will comfort you and he will give you everything that you need in that moment and we've all seen it we've got our own testimony we're all here for because of the testimony that we have when we met jesus he pulled us out of darkness into life. Now we can walk in that place. Hallelujah. Amen. Father, thank you. I don't always feel comfortable teaching on things like this, but Lord, at the same time, this is your word. These are stories of, of faith. These are stories that happen. And we take these stories and we walk in them. We read them. And Lord, rather than turning our eye against you because you allowed this or you did that, we have to put it into perspective in that man makes mistakes man does bad and dumb things even even when the holy spirit has come upon them or in our case is dwelling within us i guess the biggest prayer that we can pray for us this morning lord is let us abide so close to you that we don't make dumb vows that we don't let words come out of our mouth that are not pure and holy for you uh, to you and that we don't uh, do things lord that are not pleasing to you May our light shine so bright that the world sees that, not the errors of our ways. We thank you, Lord, that you're so faithful to us. We thank you, Lord, that you're so faithful and, and, and you continue to teach us and you pour into us. And we thank you, Lord, that we are so close to you that we can have peace in the midst of the darkest times. Guard our steps. Guard our steps, O oh Lord, that we do not go down the wrong path. And guard our tongues. Lord, let our tongues be tamed, even though we can't tame them. According to James, tame can't, the tongue can't be tamed. But, Lord, we can submit it to you and walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. So we love you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your presence. And we submit to you and give all things to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
I wanted to mention we're going to make we're going to make in a couple of changes uh, on our Wednesday night starting next month. Um, we're not going we're going to discontinue our worship night on the first night of the month starting and it may come back. This is just we're just just going to leave it out there for a while. Um, we are going to continue our Bible study on the second Wednesday and the fourth Wednesday, and we're going to continue our prayer night on the third Wednesday. So the only two things that are going to change is the first Wednesday we will not be meeting, or if there's a fifth Wednesday we will not be meeting. So just want you to know, and I'm going to have the updated calendar for, for May up, so I really encourage you to go to that calendar, take a picture of it uh, so that you'll, you'll know what's there. And if you're not getting emails, if you want to get contact or have information sent to you regarding upcoming events, make sure you get with Norman and uh, get make sure he has your email address and everything's up and going there so you can get updated with things because he tries to send things out a day, two, three days sometimes in advance of whatever's coming up. Now, next Saturday, we are having our outreach downtown. Uh, Norman will be sending you an email on that, confirming the times and everything we're going to meet. It's really going to be very casual. Majority, all I'm asking to do for those who want to come is to be out there to be prayer warriors. Just walk around the area, maybe for 30 minutes, an hour, whatever time you have to offer if you have it. If you don't, just keep it in mind and be praying as wherever you are. And then we're going to have we're going to have uh, some worship, just very limited. We're going to have just we got a little small system we're setting up on the stage out there, and we're just going to worship as the Lord leads to have a word. We'll share the word. And just encourage us to go out and mingle with people and engage with people. And if and who knows what God may open the door for. If you just pray for them, to encourage them. And so that's what's going to happen next Saturday. Again, you will be getting a reminder of that and a time specifically for that. So may the Lord bless you this week, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Oh, one more thing. No, just kidding. <laughs>
blessings, everyone. Have a great week.